electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Fast, countdown to the jobs report. While companies across America are tightening their belts, slashing headcounts, and prepping for a recession, the market continues to take a what-me-worry attitude. So how are stocks seemingly holding up in an environment where storm clouds seem to be brewing? Plus, while the banks are getting battered, pharma and healthcare names riding high. How long will this trade be the right prescription for your portfolio? We'll get a pulse check. And later, a Thursday edition of Chart of the Week will dig through the rough sketch stretch this industrial giant has had of late and the ripple effect it is having on other names in the sector. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site. Full house here on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And on the eve of the jobs report, we start with a look at everything that has changed since the banking crisis began. Since the collapse of Silicon Valley at the start of March, rates have plunged. The yield on the two years dropped from more than 5% to less than 3.8%. Bank stocks have dropped. The regional and money center ETFs are near lows not seen in more than two years. Credit is tightening. The Dallas Fed reporting sharp drops in loan volume and demand. Loan pricing, meantime, significantly higher. And layoffs, they are on the rise. The latest data showing nearly 90,000 people losing their jobs in March, bringing the total number of layoffs this year to more than 270,000. All of this having an impact on the consumer. New credit card data from Citi shows spending fell in March for the first time in over two years. And lastly, oil prices. Crude is up 25% from its lows of last month, back above 80 bucks a barrel. Yet through it all, the stock market, especially big tech, holding strong. The Nasdaq leading the gains today. Shares of Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta even hitting their highest levels of the year. So as we get ready for the jobs report tomorrow, how does this make sense, Guy? Doesn't make sense to me, oh. Melms. And there's that great publication, the Wall Street Journal, that hmm, I'm sure it is a fine publication. Sure and is. I'm not going down yeah, this rabbit like hole because we don't do this on the show, but equity risk premium they talk about. You hear that every once in a while on the network. The worst it's been since, I think, 2007 or so. I mean, that's staring us in the face. But right now, stocks don't seem to care. And I think part of today's move, I'm air quoting, is the way we look at the jobs numbers, they recalibrated everything. So things are actually worse, but the market interprets bad as good for the market. And we're going to find out tomorrow again, but I think that's part of it. But as things continue to deteriorate, stocks continue to get more expensive. For example, Microsoft, which you mentioned, 290, that puts Microsoft at 27 times next year's numbers, which doesn't make sense, especially in light of the quarter they put up two and a half or so months ago. Well, the, the aforementioned journal also had an article this afternoon, though. I thought this was what you're talking about. They were, they were referencing basically inside the Fed and how down to the wire they maybe weren't going to go and that the Fed was really. And so it, what does it augur for uh, the, the May meeting, you know, possibly that they may be on hold, that there's more anxiety within the Fed about the financial conditions tightening? I, I would just point out that uh, I talk about how as, as long as the, the Nasdaq and, and the semiconductor outperform the S&P, I want to be long the market. Now, since March 23rd, uh, the SOX, the SMH, whatever you're following, the ETF, um, is down 6.3 percent 
in 10 days to the S&P. The Nasdaq, not a lot, but down one and a half percent. So through March 23rd, um, you had two different things going on. One, you had a flight to quality, and we know what happened to interest rates. I think since that point, since that Fed meeting on the 22nd, since you digested the Fed, uh, and the sense is, and it should be, the Fed's not cutting anytime soon. Uh, You couple in Look, we've had labor data. We had jolts. We had jobless claims today. We've had different things. We had an ADP that was weaker, even though that's usually an outlier. We have a payroll tomorrow. That and the data, it's, 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 it's telling you that growth is really you know, under pressure here. And I, I would watch those ratios, those relative performances to the S&P, because I actually think we're starting to give up some, some ground, and I think it can continue. We're really seeing growth uh, get headwinds here. And if the job market's really starting to, uh, to slow down, as it will, as it should, equities will suffer. So have we been, Courtney, in in the eye of the storm? You know, we're sort of in this calm period before everything breaks. Yeah, I think what the markets are really focusing on right now is, I mean, the jobs numbers, which we'll get tomorrow, I mean, it does look like they're going to be weakening, which you pointed out here, but they're still not really that bad. And I think that's what the the markets are looking at right now. I mean, they're not that much higher than the pre-pandemic levels, which is near historical lows right now. I think that's what everybody's focusing on. And they continue to focus into your mega cap cap techs as it looks like interest rates are going to be staying probably the same, if not lower, later this year. Um, but I do agree, I would not jump into that. I think I think likely interest rates are going to stay higher. You don't want to be overexposed to those categories. Um, but I think the bigger thing is we're going to see how the banks are reporting next week. And there's been a lot of pessimism there after the bank failures, but I think probably more so than is justified. So I think I like some of the rotation you're seeing back into pharmaceuticals. The rotation into um, your big tech, I, I wouldn't here. Yeah, to keep an eye on the Russell 2000 guy, Adami, who's often prescient. What do you mm. call him? Nostradami or something? I don't. Like that everyone so call him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just you, me. you should never give yourself a nickname, by the way. And I know I, you don't. I, no, I'm I, just saying. Why are you looking at me? I'm just saying. Never folks done at that home, before. here's a PSA. Do, don't ever. There have been a history of people on this show who've given that are no longer on the show. And they are never to be seen again. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so good. Sorry. But back in November, early November of 2021, before the Fed had actually pivoted to start battling inflation signaling they're going to raise interest rates. You remember the, the Russell 2000 small caps broke out. It was in this really long consolidation period. Nostradamus over here said, watch the small caps. They're going to be the ones that's first affected by the rate increases and that sort of thing. And it's just interesting when you think about Russell 2000 is still down 30% from those highs in early 2021. We had a huge rally in January. They're up about 15%. Really felt like they were leading a little bit if the Fed was going to pivot. And now, even with rates coming in, but we've heard all this Fed speak this week, right? Where we've heard Fed speakers saying that the Fed fund should stay or get above five and stay there a little bit to battle inflation and look at the underperformance of the Russell. I just think that's really interesting. And then going across the spectrum, a name, I don't know why it stuck out to me this week, Airbnb, $70 billion market cap company. Okay. And again, they were supposed to benefit from the post pandemic, all that sort of stuff. It was down like 11% this week, like two down 4% days in a row, that sort of thing. So I just think there's plenty of stocks and you could say, listen, you're looking at it like glass half empty. Okay. And Fine. Just give me what I'm supposed to look at to be glass half full because I don't see it. I don't see the crowding in some of the largest tech stocks right now as particularly bullish, especially given all the uncertainty that we have as we head into Q1. So I'd keep an eye on small caps. I think they're going to lead the way. I know there's a lot of financial exposure in there. Um, so, and I know we're going to talk about banks later. I got plenty to say on that. But again, small caps and some of these other names that are not those top 10 names, I think are really concerning. Well, I mean, glass half full in terms of the overall markets and how the indices hold up is just mm-hmm. the concentration in, yeah. in certain names and and the crowdedness of those trades. What are we going to see to make them crack? Probably a lot would have to happen to make an Apple or Microsoft crack. 
Yeah, I don't love Airbnb, but I mean, the stock's up 30% this year off of yeah. where, well, you know, again, yeah. shouldn't be doing cartwheels about that? No, but um, my glass is half full in a market that's clearly half empty. I mean, I, I don't feel great about where EPS is going. I don't feel great about where the economy is going. Um, but, but, and I heard Mike Santelli saying this in the, in the previous show, uh, in the OT, where actually, you know, you have a dynamic here where we've really done nothing in terms of where the index has gone over the last year, but we've done a lot. And we've had a lot of great trading ranges, and that's something that I think we're going to continue to do. A day like today, I mean, look, healthcare, I want to own healthcare. Um, I want to own energy. I want to own staples. And there are places to do this. And, and I think that's, that's where we are. The, the cycle of this bear market has so many more legs to go, in my view, um, that this has been frustrating for people. They want this thing just to play out. And I, I, there's so many reasons why this time is different. So should we be waiting for an overall market crack? I mean, should we be waiting for the broader index to crack? Or is it possible that we have these sort of rolling corrections within this index where we have the index largely, you know, emerge unscathed? That's the right question. So, and I would have said this many percentage points ago, just to be clear, but I mentioned Microsoft, for example. I mean, their last quarter was not a particularly good quarter by Microsoft standards. If you recall, it traded down to 220-something. Since then, the entire move higher is all it is is multiple expansion. Nothing has gotten better in their world. As a matter of fact, things have probably deteriorated. Apple is an expensive stock 25 dollars ago. It's an expensive stock now. Again, the environment that they exist in has gotten more difficult. Google makes sense in terms of how it troughed and the comeback on the back of the AI noise we saw a few weeks ago. So I'll sort of extract that. But so many of these moves, all it is it's just multiple expansion in an arena where we should be seeing the exact opposite because earnings, in my opinion, are going to deteriorate. Isn't part of what has changed for these stocks, it may not be the business dynamic, it may not be that they're getting more orders or whatnot, but that people are looking for more defensive names. They want cash on the balance sheet. They want somebody who doesn't need to tap capital for right. the market. Until, so- though, Mel, until there's a demand issue, right? Until you start seeing de- demand decelerate mm-hmm. and, and you start seeing, uh, you know, like 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 just weaker revenue, revenue growth. And, you know, like, and I, I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but Tesla, you know, they reported uh, deliveries, you know, over the weekend that were up 4% quarter over quarter that included two price cuts. Do you know what I'm saying? And then we know that's going to come with lower margins. So, like, for instance, to Guy's point, you have Apple trading 27 times for low single digits earnings and sales growth expected this year. If their expected sales growth is below, you know what I mean? With We know with this kind of pesky and persistent, is that what you call sure. it? Like some of these inflationary inputs, that's going to come with lower margins. That's how these kind of, the, these stocks are going to get re-rated. I mean, that's what's going to happen in the next quarter or two, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think valuation is going to continue to be important, which we've been saying that, and clearly investors have not been listening. They're rushing to these things like a safety trade. Um, But you actually brought up small caps, which I do find interesting because most people are not excited about small caps right now, and they are trading so much cheaper than your mega cap techs. And if you especially look at just the large, eight largest companies, they trade about a 40% premium to your small caps right now. And that at some point is going to come back. And so I I just don't think you want to reach for these things right now, which investors are continuing to do. And I, I would just be cautious there. All right. Well, our next guest urges investors to take profits and get defensive. Chris Harvey uh, runs equity strategy for Wells Fargo Securities. I guess you didn't give yourself a nickname because you're back. Uh, good to see you. <laughs> Smart move. It's good to see you. But just a warning. Don't do it now. Uh, no. But what is, what is defensive in this environment, Chris? Um, pharmaceuticals defensive. And really what you want to do is you want to look for better balance sheets. You want companies that don't rely on the capital markets to fund themselves. Uh, I, I heard you're going to talk about the banks a little bit later. We are concerned about the banks. But 
the banking space as a whole, it's fine. But the ability for it to provide capital at a reasonable price, that's where we have to worry about. That's where it starts to um, cause friction and, and slow down the economy. We think there's going to be more regulation. So as a result, you have to raise capital less loan, less loan production, and that's going to be a problem. So here you go, Eli Lilly, which, and I'm with you on pharmaceuticals, big cap pharma, but just to push back, stock went from 375 all-time high, 310, it's bounced within whisper of an all-time high. These stocks are expensive. I mean, can they continue this run? It, they could continue this run, but our price target is 4,200. We're at 41. It's horseshoes and hand grenades. We're pretty close, right? We had to, we have a pretty healthy 20 multiple on a 210 number. Um, you're not going to get much more than that. And what we thought is, hey, rates will go down this year. We're going to go into a period where economy is going to slow, growth will be better, and the S&P being a large cap growth index will perform, and you've got that. You can't expect much more at this point in time. The risk reward just doesn't look that great. So where do you get the beta then? You don't want beta. You really don't. You just want to preserve capital. You want to preserve capital. That's the environment we're in. I think that's the environment we're in. I think this is going to be one of the most difficult earnings seasons we've seen in a long time. Because if you don't print perfectly, the Fed's not going to bail you out, the economy's not going to bail you out, and there's going to be a big penalty for a big miss. So we started the show with what has changed since the banking crisis started. Did you have this view pre-Silicon Valley Bank? No. Or has has this evolved since then? No, this has evolved since then. What we said at the beginning of the year, we expect some sort of economic malaise. We never thought recession. Now we think recession. And, And so we're getting a lot more defensive here, especially as the market has rallied on the belief that the Fed is done with our tightening cycle. Um, Dan used the word pesky, so I'll, I'll use a baseball metaphor. And guys, stay with me here. Please. Um, you could hit a ball about 310 feet in Yankee Stadium in center field, and it's an out. In, in Boston, you could hit the pesky pole at around 301, 302, and it's a home run. Um, you've had such great trading ranges in this market. I, I, it seems to me we're going to have the same great trading ranges. And so I, I realize you're making a market call. Right. Um, but, but Within healthcare, staples, energy, those have been places that are easy to be defensive here. Um, it, it just seems to me there are places to be investing here, and there are places that are also oversold. And coming out of this, you know, I don't think banks are the place to go run to, but there's no question the sentiment on banks is terrible, and there's banks with great balance sheets that are probably worth owning. Yeah, if you want, if you're a long-term investor, there's a lot of banks that are trading at very, very reasonable valuations and, and have very good management teams and, and a more conservative style but it's gonna to be tough to exploit that value in the short term. And I agree with you, we're gonna be in a range. Think the wheels aren't falling off the cart, but you're at the high end of the range. And, and could we go higher? Yeah, I guess so, but can you sustain that? Not at a 20 multiple on 210, not for that long. And, and we're going to, I really do believe we're gonna run into a recession, and that's just not great for risk product. And let's not forget, the debt ceiling's coming up. We're gonna get some resolution on student loan. And uh, at the end of the day, we don't know if the Fed is done. So still a lot of risks out there. So your title, Chris, is head of equity strategy. Yes. Um, but in order to preserve capital, do you actually recommend going outside of equities? Listen, I think you, at the front end of the curve, right, you can make a pretty good rate of return. Overseas, some of the valuations look attractive. What you really want to do is you want really good risk rewards. And you can find that in fixed income and you can find that in equities. You want to be more balanced. So the answer is yes. I bet he calls himself head of equity strategy. It's not a like nickname. No, like a nickname. Yeah. It's a title. Oh, it's, a it's a title. title. Oh. It's a title. It's not a nickname. It's too long for a nickname. What it is. Uh, Chris, it's great to see you. Thanks for enduring I mean, this. I only got a chuckle out of that Here. bad joke, I guess. You know, boy. <laughs>
What do you think? Well, you know what's funny? We've heard this a lot uh, last year, especially when the market closed down 22%, the S&P 500, that like the uh, back-to-back down years is not a a common occurrence, right, over the last 100 years or so. And it's funny because, you know, we had COVID happen and the stock market wasn't even down, right? So we actually finally had a down, you know, 22% year last year. I just kind of go back to, you know, 08 was the only year that the financial crisis was down. But then you go back 20 years and we had like a three-year bear market and it really stunk. and, and there was a really long recession and everything like that. So I think what I took away from Chris's commentary is that he came into the year thinking uh, soft landing, no landing, like basically not a recession. And now he thinks they are. And so at some point, that's going to become, that's going to permeate most of investors' thoughts the way it did back in October. And think of where we were in October when everyone was convinced we we're going to have a recession. We're at 3,500 on the S&P. Now, earnings estimates for this year are lower than they were four or five months ago. And so to me, I just think that there's going to be a time in the next couple of months where we're going to be flirting with that 3,700, 3,800. And that's going to be the moment of truth. And if you are a long-term investor, that's when you start layering into some of these things. Maybe it's banks. Maybe it's some of these things that have gotten kind of expensive and you start thinking about it on a multi-year time horizon. Yeah, and I do think the bearishness has definitely turned since the banking crisis. And I think you're even seeing that come up in the jobs numbers, right? So when you actually look underneath things, you're seeing so people leaving their jobs. So people are not resigning any longer because they are more nervous about the economy. They're not so sure they can find another job. And you're also seeing that companies are actually pulling down uh, positions from websites. So before they have to fire anybody, they'd say, well, why don't we just not, why don't we just hang tight and see how the economy goes? I think that's the same thing you're seeing with the markets here is people are just in this wait and see mode and they're not sure where things are going to go in the future. That's why I think earnings is going to become really important because it's going to be on the first time that we actually have any sort of visibility into that. The irony of Johnny Pesky, as you know, Mel, as you were saying before the show, we were talking about him. He only hit 17 home runs over the course of a 10-year career. The and fact that they a named pole. a foul. A it's pole it's, after him? It's the craziest right. thing. Does it say pesky pole on it the pole? It does not. It does not. But they refer to it that way in Boston. Right. I'm glad we covered the pesky pole today. That's on fast news you can use. Good. Uh, do not miss the special edition of Squawk Box Jobs in America. That's tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. That's news that you'll be able to use, actually. They're breaking down the March yes. jobs report as soon as the numbers cross. And coming up on Fast Pharma Fury, the group holding up strong this week, even as other areas of the market feel the pain. So is this trade the right prescription for your portfolio? We'll debate that. And big tech's exposure to China. Lawmakers meeting with industry leaders to discuss the threat from Beijing. The details out of that ahead. Fast Money's back in two. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have got a news alert on former J.P. Morgan exec Jeff Staley. Let's get to Christina Parts Nevelis for the latest. Christina. 
No, that's right, Melissa. A new filing for the case regarding the relationship between J.P. Morgan Chase and Jeffrey Epstein. Lawyers for Jess Daly, J.P. Morgan's former private banking chief, are asking the judge to sever the bank's lawsuit against him from other charges over the firm's ties to the disgraced financier. The new filing also asked for the trial to be pushed back to March 2024, saying that the current schedule gives him and his lawyers, quote, grossly insufficient time to defend against what he says are false accusations. We have, of course, reached out to representatives for Staley, the bank, and J. Doe, the plaintiff in the case, and we'll update you if we hear back in the hour. Mel? Uh, Christina, thank you. Christina Parsonevelis. Well, healthcare stocks among the top performers of the week with United Health, Johnson Johnson, Merck, and Amgen, the four top performing stocks in the Dow since Monday. Lilly and Pfizer are also seeing solid gains for the week, so should you stick with the safety trade? Guy, I'll go back to you in terms yeah. of the valuation question, which you're trying to push on Chris Harvey about. I don't think it's a, see, that's the thing. I understand why it's perceived to be that way, mm -hmm. but this was some, there was some growth in these names for a very long time. Now, they've gotten expensive, but they've historically been expensive. Eli Lilly, there's been a problem on valuation literally for the last five or six years. We've addressed it. They continue to grow into it. Merck, Tim has talked about it, and did Karen, was a $68 stock. I think it closed at 113 today, still reasonably well-valued. Amgen, I think it's the best biotech stock out there that's way too cheap in this environment. So although it's perceived to be safety, I actually think it's still investable as growth names, too. Yeah. Courtney, you like this as sort of a defensive play. I do. Yeah, actually, our, our acronyms at the beginning of the year, my vibe, um, the, <laughs> the Vanguard Shameless value. Plug you, <laughs> of the acronym. You United Health and Merck. Um, those are actually two of the top holdings in there. And I do think people became a lot more um, pessimistic on these earlier in the year, just after there was so much optimism last year and people started to rotate out of that trade. And I think the fundamentals continue to look really strong with your pharmaceuticals. And I think I don't think they're overvalued here to Guy's point. And I do think they're likely going to continue to do well. And especially those two names, your United Health and your Merck, they've done a lot really to um, reduce their costs. So you had Merck actually spun off some of their lower margin businesses, which is going to save them like a billion and a half in revenue by next year. Um, and then you also have uh, United Health at an acquisition, which is going to help their highest growth margin. So I think that's only going to benefit them as we look forward. UNH uh, continues to grow in the fastest growing parts of healthcare. That's why the multiple keeps going higher. Um, let's talk about J&J. I mean, this week they removed a major cloud hanging over their business. It's an expensive cloud, but it, it, you can't tell me um, that this isn't bullish for J&J, which was coming off of also just a, you know, a range trade near the bottom of its range is now up about 8%. I think you still buy this thing. And, it, it, you know, it's three businesses, one. And I think we know that. It's devices, it's consumer products, and it's pharma. Uh, I think their pharma pipeline is actually growing faster than most of their peers. I think the, the medical devices business is actually now finally seeing some pricing power. So uh, I think J&J is a great stock to own here, especially as you've taken risk off the table. The talc loss yeah. settlement of that. Um, UNH, that's a, a chart that uh, the chart master mm -hmm. has uh, called godlike. Yeah, it just broke out above that downtrend that's been yeah. in place for months. Hey, Tim, what about your Pfizer? Um, that one, it's interesting. Is it digesting, like, you know, earnings are expected to be cut in half this year, sales down 30%, but then if you start looking at next year, you see 10% earnings growth and mid-single digits. Sales growth trading about, like, 10 and a half times or something like that. Is that setting up as a decent I one? I think it is, and I think Pfizer had this windfall from COVID, right? And people wondered what they were going to do with it, and they actually went out and they spent that entire windfall on a number of acquisitions that are supposed to give them $25 billion in sales by 2030. I, I like the fact that they've gone down that road, and I look at the chart, and I say around 40 bucks. this is where this thing continues to, to bottom and find range. So I, I, that's where I bought it. It's not done a whole lot since then. I think it's a good place to be. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. 
The China Connection. Lawmakers honing in on big tech's relationship to Beijing. The details out of the latest Silicon Valley meetings. Next. Plus, earnings season is around the corner. And who better to kick things off than the big banks? Can they say anything to ease investor fears? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Members of Congress continuing their three-day tech tour in California today, meeting with executives at Google, Microsoft, and Palantir to discuss China threats. The House Select Committee already met with Disney's Bob Iger yesterday and will round out the trip with Apple's Tim Cook tomorrow. Our Steve Kovacs covering this week's congressional road trip. Uh, so what were the takeaways, Steve? Yeah, Mel. Well, members of the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party are on Stanford's campus today, hosting a slew of these tech executives to discuss American businesses' reliance on China. That includes AI safety and cryptocurrency. Now, happening right now, Mel, executives including Microsoft President Brad Smith and Google Chief Legal Officer Kent Walker are in attendance, with Smith giving a presentation on artificial intelligence. And then tonight, it's on to the VC crowd with a dinner attended by prominent VCs like Mark Andreessen and Vinod Khosla. Now, this is the big one, Mel. Apple is more reliant on China, both for manufacturing and a large portion of its sales, more than any company in Silicon Valley. That is why they're getting their own meeting tomorrow. And I'm told one item on that agenda for the Apple meeting, the protests we saw at the Foxconn iPhone factory in China last month. Security forces were seen harming workers who were trying to escape COVID lockdowns at the factory. Now, Apple and Cook himself never denounced the violence, and that's expected to come up. Also expected to discuss Apple's reliance on China for its supply chain and how it can wean itself off. But this Silicon Valley tour is really just about getting feedback. We're not expecting anything tangible to come out. Think of it as a fact-finding uh, mission. And the House committee afterwards will make those decisions, Mel. Feedback on what, Steve? Feedback on, on China-U.S. relations? Feedback on how Congress has been handling China? Yeah, it, it's, the, it's the big thing. One thing that happened right now is, uh, I, obviously, Mel, everyone's talking about AI. And Brad Smith from Microsoft gave a presentation early this morning about AI, and he actually said the gap between where we in the U.S. are at AI is actually very narrow to where China's at. This is particularly on those large language models that power stuff like ChatGPT. So a lot of people concerned that China might leapfrog us. Microsoft saying, no way. All right, Steve, thanks. You got it. Steve Kovac, uh, this seems like just sort of the, the prelude to things happening in terms of the screws being turned on the, on the tech sector. Yes, we've seen this prelude to A Kiss before, which was a great Broadway musical back, I believe, in the 90s, if you recall, Tim. I went and saw it actually a couple of times. No, but we've seen it before. Typically, these stocks seem to recover extraordinarily well on the back. It's theater. So I'm not, maybe I should be concerned. I'm not, I will say this quickly. On the Squawk Box this morning, there was a wonderful interview with, I think, somebody from Forte Capital, but he put out a very bullish case for Palantir, which I would submit that was a pee in the hope trade two years ago. So you're a little early. 
in our world, early which is, is wrong. Which equals. But with that said, he made a compelling case for Palantir. Mm -hmm. Cash flow positive, earnings growth, you know, their balance sheet looks great. And if they get in the MBS world, the medium size, MSB, medium-sized businesses, yep. I think it's off to the races. I'll, I'll quote Dan, who often points out who's got business in, in China and who doesn't, right? I mean, in Google's case, like, they're not that worried about it, right? right. And, and if you think about it, in Meta's case, they're not really that worried about it. Um, Apple, lots lots to worry about on top of the other things. but But... I just think that these these stocks are, are trading more as a function of market participants, really, than anything. And and then there are the levers that they can pull on cutting expenses and being more efficient. We know what that's meant for Meta, and we know what that meant, certainly on the way down, why they were getting punished. I think there's still a lot to go. I will also just say that in case of Google and in Meta, uh, I pointed out, I believe it more than ever upon seeing the, the Q1 digital uh, spend data, that I think these companies, in terms of their media business, were punished first and questions were asked Later. And if you look at Google, up 9% Q1 on their digital ad, uh, Meta about 8%. So their business is stronger and it's better. And it doesn't say that we don't might have a recession and might suffer, but I think a lot of media companies were sold first. Yeah. Uh, should we, though, I mean, you were saying that they were trading as market participants. I mean, should we be thinking about this, though, as, you know, China can just decide to you know what, I'm going to make it tougher. I'm going to make you hand over the data to us, just yeah. like you're trying to do. In well, the that, but that's why Microsoft and, and some of these other digital companies are not there, right? That forced technology transfer, that was an issue, and it has been an issue for, you know, 20 years in China. And so some of our digital companies have just been locked out. And, you know, we had Stephen Roach on last night. He was talking about, I mean, listen, that guy, you know, knows a lot about China and he knows about our dealings with China. And he's talking about a very hot economic war that could lead to other things. And I'll just say this, man, I, I just don't think history is going to look too kindly on, you know, Tim Cook, and he spent 25 years creating this supply chain and the reliance on manufacturing over there, or Elon Musk, you know, and, and their reluctance to kind of um, call out what's gone on in one of the most totalitarian regimes on our planet. And is what, what I mean, what? You, you're, you're pushing no, no, no. back. I mean, I mean, you know, like, at the same time, you have other multinational companies that have done quite well there and built a huge presence there that are not Elon Musk, that are not Tim Cook. You've got McDonald's, they're operating uh, very well, Starbucks. Yeah, but don't we look all these joint ventures, GM going there, building <laughs> factories with Chinese companies. If you're gonna, if you're gonna say, you know. Elon Musk should bear some responsibility for not calling out no, no. things that are going wrong. These are two of the biggest companies, companies in the planet. Uh -huh. They're two of the richest men on the planet. Okay, they employ hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and 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 again, I just think that you know they they use different. Over here, Tim Cook is a social warrior in the U.S., but they don't say a word over there. And he does all these secret trips over there, right? And he's cozying up with the the communist every company party over there. This. Every U.S. company. No, they don't, Tim. So so Facebook's not doing it. I mean, I'm well, just saying, like, they Google's can't. not doing they it. Can't. I, I know, they but, can't. but 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 they're not allowed it. I know, but, but I, just, I, I think. So what did I say? I said history is not going to be particularly kind if we have a hot economic war or something more. China. That's but I, what think, I, said. I, I think you're also vilifying the approach to, you know, kind of doing anything it takes to do business in China. Am I right? Well, I mean, with Elon and, Musk, and I'm just saying that American companies all do that well, and they Elon do it around Musk, the world and every other economy in the world, by the way, it's a little different and, and very no other economies like ours. So our form of democracy only exists here. I, the, the Germans don't have our form of democracy either, and yet we go. Or Canada, Australia, but, but, Europe, but, they all have our form of democracy. No, they don't have Chinese democracy, but they don't, like, American democracy works in America, and there's a lot of other places that I would say are democratic, but definitely don't 
think and their businesses don't operate the same way. There's a much bigger social net in Europe. There's a much bigger uh, burden on those companies to be more socially minded. And, and U.S. companies, again, they do business a little bit differently in every single place. That's really my only point. Right. And I don't think I don't think Apple's alone on that. So. All right. Well. I'm glad we got a split to well, I, know, that's it. I, I, I don't get, I don't get a last fighting. word here. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm just saying. What, what, <laughs> just got one. Go, go get it. Okay, no, I, I mean, yeah. but, but, but again, like, like, like these are two of the biggest companies on the planet, right? And so they operate by a set of rules here. I get it get, based on our democratic system and our capitalistic system there. But I just think it's really hypocritical when you think about it. What did Steve Kovac just said? Tim Cook hasn't said a word about those working conditions here or whatever. And so, again, if we are ending up in um, a very different situation with China, than we've been in the past where I just think that it's not it's not going to go well for Apple. I agree with that. Yeah. I just well, here's I, the thing, though, then U.S. consumers should boycott. OK, and so here, right. Like, I mean, so, we, so, we should be as, upset. as the ones who live in a democracy, we should be upset with those companies for not saying anything. We should be calling it. And they've done this democracy. to Nike on and sweatshops in, in, in Southeast Asia and other companies. Right, and I mean, people happened. walk with their it has feet. happened. Yeah. All right. Okay. Everybody good? Yeah, right. conversation. I'm good. Coming up. I'm good. <laughs> Bank earnings coming in hot. The group gearing up to kick off earnings season next week, and our traders have strong opinions on what to watch. That's next. Plus, one industrial name getting scratched up this week, down more than 8%, but can shares pounce back? Huh. That's a hint. The trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Uh, an update here. J.P. Morgan responding to former exec Jess Daly's legal filing. Let's get back to Christina Parts and Nevelis for that. Christina. Yeah, this update pertains specifically to the lawsuit about J.P. Morgan and Jeffrey Epstein that we just brought you maybe 20 minutes ago. J.P. Morgan Chase's spokesperson Patricia Wexler says, quote, Jane Doe herself has directly accused him of horrific sexual misconduct, and if true, he must be held accountable. And then another quote, he's inextricably linked to these cases. It makes no sense to separate him. So those are the two latest statements that we promised we'd bring you if we heard from J.P. Morgan, which we did. All right. Christina, thanks. Christina Partsnevelis. Uh, well, financial set to kick off earnings season on Friday. It could be our first detailed look at the impact of the banking crisis. Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, PNC Bank, Wells Fargo, all out with numbers over the next few weeks. Check out the action of the XLF and the KRE over the past months. Should you be shorting these financial ETFs ahead of the results? Dan, what do you think? You know, I've been long puts in the XLF, and I've been training around it, and, um, you know, it's finding a little bit of support here. I think there are probably bad presses into the print. There may be a couple um, statements by a few of them, uh, you know, that, that maybe send the stocks to kind of new recent lows, but it's not a great trade here, um, just given how much they're down in such a short period of time and how little we know about the major money center banks, in my opinion here, okay? That being said, if they were to rally, because let's say the poor price performance over the last month discounts some bad news, I I think the unknowns that will can like persist for the next few quarters, I think it does give you the opportunity then if we had a five or seven percent rally in any of these names to maybe take some off the table. And in my case, I would look to short them. I mean, in theory here, particularly when you think about the regionals, all they have to do, and I say this kind of lightly, but all they have to do is say the deposit flight wasn't that bad. The deposits are fairly stable. And that seems like that in and of itself could be enough of a catalyst to sort of, you know, light a little bit of a fire, even if it's short term here. Yeah, I think I think people have actually been a lot more overly pessimistic on the banking sector than I think 
Well, I mean, it's justified. I mean, it's understandable why people feel that way. But I don't think that um, when we get earnings out, I don't think it's going to be as bad as people are expecting. And I think a lot of this bad news is priced in. And when you bring up, well, there's so many unknowns, why do we want to be in it yet? I think you want to get into it before the, if there's positive news that's come out, you want to be in it beforehand. You don't want to wait till after and the stock is going to pop. So um, I am optimistic here. I mean, there's a, there is a lot of unknowns we're going to see next week and kind of lift the blanket here. Um, but I, I think um, likely you're going to have some upside. Regionals. KRE is trading at a two and a half year low. I think 41 and a quarter was a recent low. It closed at 42 and a half or so. So that does not trade particularly well. XLF, on the other hand, is at huge support levels. Back in February of 2020, that was resistance at 31. Past resistance becomes support. We've tried it a couple times. We're right there now. Courtney's 100% right. There's a lot of negative understood. But you have to ask yourself, what's the environment for banks going forward? There's going to be more regulation coming, without question. Mm -hmm. Credit conditions are going to tighten. I think by definition, their earnings power is going to be diminished. So they can make the argument that they're cheap on valuation. They're cheap for a reason. But what should the valuation be, exactly. I guess, right in that environment? And, 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 you know, you talk about XLF holding support. I mean, uh, what do you do without Berkshire Hathaway in there? You don't hold mm -hmm. support. and you don't, You're not even close. It's now 12.5% of the XLF. So, um, folks... See, look under the hood of your ETFs. You should know what's in all of these things. And, and, and I, I just think banks are going to be range-bound. I don't think there's any way that they can, they can rally through this, especially uh, we still don't really know what a lot of the securities portfolios look like, where they would have losses, where they're unrealized losses. They don't have an obligation to report them per se, um, and, or you know, maybe some of them will. I think this is a chance that some of these guys can point out you know, that we're investing in basically AAA treasuries and not derivatives of AAA treasuries, but in fact those. Um, I just think the Credit um, dynamics that I think we all talk about that have yet to really hit, I think regionals are more exposed than anybody. I mean, we're just talking about a world where there's just credit problems that come from both a consumer and smaller companies. Um, that's where they are exposed, and that's where people that were shorting regional banks before they even knew about SVB, or those same guys, by the way, are the same kind of guys, actually, that were shorting SVB, are the guys that have looked at regional banks for the last two years and said they're very vulnerable. Coming up. Wall Street job cuts and tech layoffs may have a big impact on the finances of New York and California. What it all means for the empire in golden states. But first, a special Thursday edition of Chart of the Week. One name seeing gains getting bulldozed. What is it? We'll reveal the name right after this break. More Fast Money in Two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our Chart of the Week. This week, it's W-E-A-K week. Caterpillar locking in some industrial-sized losses down nearly 9% since Monday. It is the stock's second-worst week of the year. Brings it to its lowest level since October. I know you're watching this one, Guy. Baird cut it to, I think, underperformed from neutral, from neutral <laughs> with a $180 price target at close to 210 today. That is pretty interesting. People will point to Caterpillar. Valuation is compelling. It is until it's not anymore. And that's not I'm meant to be glib, but things change very quickly in this world. And with these ISM numbers, some of these numbers are coming out are catastrophic. Tim talked about it earlier in the week, some of the numbers we've seen we haven't seen in decades. So CAT doesn't win in that environment, especially if this is a global thing. So I think the weakness is justified here. So you don't need equipment. And, and financing new equipment is probably harder than ever than it's been in a long time, I would imagine. It, it, it would be. I, I, I would look at steel companies that have also underperformed dramatically. If you look at U.S. Steel, it went from about 31.75 down to, you know, 24s before bouncing a little bit. But, I mean, that's a massive drawdown. And some of this is a function of that's one of the most um, – 
economically sensitive balance sheets out there and, and, and certainly their business and the prices that you saw in hot rolled coal at coil and the, the strength that they had in the business, even during difficult times coming out of COVID. I think a lot of that's being held in question. And, and I, I, I would agree the, the the day we had that ISM number. All the resource stocks got destroyed, and they haven't really recovered. All right. Well, mining giant Cleveland Cliffs heading in the opposite direction today. The stock is up about 7% on the year, and options traders are flooding the name with bullish bets. Mike's got the action. Mike? Yeah, we saw five times the average daily call volume in this one, the busiest contract, the May 20s. Those traded roughly 69,000 contracts. Most of that was institutional blocks. The June 20s were the second busiest contract, trading about 26,000 contracts. Buyers of those calls obviously making bullish bets that the stock is going to be up 18% or more between the next six and 10 weeks between those May and June expirations. That's going to capture earnings on their next general meeting. But as Tim pointed out, the steel prices, the futures for sure, are lower than the price hikes that the company just announced. All right. Thank you, Mike Coe. For more options action, tune into the full show next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, it's almost tax time in the swath of recent layoffs in fact is factoring in in some unexpected ways why some states are looking at tax hikes to make up for the impact. More Fast Money ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big tech layoffs and cutbacks on Wall Street are crushing tax revenues in California and New York. Robert Frank's got the details on what this means for two major players in the U.S. economy. Robert. Well, Melissa, California tax collections down 4% over the past year. New York down about 1%. That may not sound like a lot, but the rest of the states are up 11%. Now, one reason is the falling stock market and tech wealth that reduces capital gains revenue. But the big worry right now is that withholding taxes are also falling. That means payrolls. Dan Clifton at Strategus says the unemployment is rising in both states, especially among high-income workers. They pay a lot more taxes. Bonus income is falling. Wall Street bonuses down 26% this year. And then we have all that wealth flight, those high-income taxpayers who moved out to lower tax states during the pandemic. That may now be showing up on the tax rolls. Both states have potential budget problems as a result of all this, especially as that federal aid runs out from COVID. California had a $100 billion surplus just six months ago. Now it is looking at a $22 billion deficit. New York's budget is delayed, meanwhile, as the legislature battles the governor over spending and potential tax hikes on the wealthy. New York City also facing a squeeze from higher spending and slower revenue. Mayor Adams saying a $4 billion budget hole could force cuts in almost every city agency. So, Melissa, all this is happening very fast in two states that until really recently had big surpluses. Yeah, and and God forbid they actually saved that money instead of giving it out <laughs> as sort of a handout when they had the money. You know, it's it's such a quagmire, Robert, because you know when you have to cut, services go down, and so that's another reason for people to leave the city. And yet you raise taxes in order to better those services, and people leave the city. Yeah, it's a conundrum, and that's what the, these cities also. There's politics thrown in where both California and New York, and especially the cities within those states are progressive. And so 80% of New Yorkers support this tax on those making $5 million or more. The governor is holding fast on that because she's seen the 1,400 people making $25 million or more who left in 2021. So it's both an economic conundrum as well as a political one. Yeah. Robert, thank you. Robert Frank. 
Um, this Did you see Squawk game. Box today? Yes. Did you see Judd Gregg? Yes, and I saw that. Giannis, I, I, I apologize. He's state senator for New York. But yeah. the comments said Senator X, I guess he's ex-Senator Gregg. People are fleeing New York because of all the things we we're just talking about. So now you have this competition between states to get people to, and that's what's happening. So when you talk about tax receipts, this is the beginning of a pretty important story, I think. And that got pretty heated today. If you haven't seen Very. the clip, I encourage you to watch yeah. it. Property taxes in New York City have gone up 40% in the last five years. Uh, they can't tax us anymore. We're not getting anything. You're getting less for your money. You're getting actually more trees planted in the middle of the street and yellow paint so you can't drive anywhere. Um, you're getting more bikes on the sidewalk, but you're not getting anything more for your money. Thank you. Is that a personal? That's your personal? I just I bet, I'm, <laughs> bet I'm not the only one who feels this way. Yeah, no, I'm sure you are not alone. <laughs> All right, up next, a big win for Chipotle on National Burrito Day. Yes, today is National Burrito Day. Details and final trades next. Welcome back. Guy. Yes, you're gonna Melissa. Love this. You're going to love this. National Burrito Day is today. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Chipotle Careful. is celebrating with a win. Salad maker Sweet Green saying it will rename its Chipotle Chicken Burrito Bowl after Chipotle filed a trademark infringement lawsuit. Because that's proprietary, Chipotle Chicken Burrito Bowl. Uh, shares uh, have had a blowout. Yes, on, they have. Up Boom. 12%. Guy. It's the, the irony of this is not lost on me quickly. The Sweet Greens cats were Georgetown grads that oh, started really? at Little Tavern Burger. So the whole thing is, I'm telling Little you. Tavern? Yes. Wow, that was, so it's all coming full circle. Now, people are going to, by the way, I had a CMG last night. It was tremendous. Extra chicken, no beans, no tomatoes. That's exactly right. You know, That's going to be selling off the shelves, folks. Like this. <laughs> expensive stock. You know what? It's been expensive for a long time. Love CMG even more now, Tim Seymour. Okay. It, I think it's very expensive. I wouldn't go near it. Yeah. But I haven't. I felt that way for the last like thousand points on the stock. Yeah, Courtney. I, agree. I think it's expensive, and I also you can't buy a Chipotle burrito on National Burrito Day. You need to get like a real burrito. I am wow. from San Diego, so you know I know where they're nice. good. Nice. Maybe tomorrow, that. but not today. Bang. <laughs> burrito shade from Courtney. I love that. She's yeah. a mission style gal. What? <laughs> no mission burrito. What does that mean? Oh, in San Diego. Yes. Anyway. Oh, the mission district. It's time for the final trade on this Thursday. Tim Seymour. Well, Altria, maybe after you have a burrito, you can have a smokeless product or something that they just talked about in their best year. They, they gave some aggressive EPS targets, and I think they stay there. It's a great dividend, and the company's priced poorly. Courtney. Uh, Walmart, um, I think actually, especially with some of their growth strategies they have in here, I think it's a great play. Dan, Nathan. Well, we are talking about Tim's Pfizer, and we're getting into like that mid part of the year, and people are going to start valuing some companies on the out year. So maybe that one's starting to look really interesting. Valuation. Few franchises in professional sports could screw up a rain delay, but the Mets, God bless them, today on a beautiful day in New York, called a rain out on opening day. Hold on a second. A yeah, yeah, come on. I mean, that's a very insensitive comment and anyway, a reckless comment. Is there if I trade Bristol Myers, oh. BMW, I'll get you done. Thanks for watching Fast. Have a great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.